setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And it's Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. At uh, 12.15 in the morning. Yeah. Um, we uh, had a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah. Uh, because I had a condition. Uh, I just loved magic too much. Yeah. <laughs> had to take a little break. Uh, the last thing we did was like I got back from Columbus. Oh, this was interesting. In Columbus... Um, one of the days that I was, when I woke up in the hotel, I had a really sharp pain behind my, where like your TMJ is, your okay. thermomandibular, thermo, it can't be thermo, your, uh, your turbo joint. And, and if you don't know what that is, as I don't, Chris is pointing to like right above his right cheek, below yeah. his temple. Well, uh, like people who like grind their teeth will get TMJ where gotcha. they get pain here. Anyway, I got a really sharp pain, uh, right there, sort of right below my temple and it lasted for about a day or two and then it went away. Then when I got back to, um... Los Angeles. Uh, so I got back on a Monday or go back on Sunday. And then Thursday night, um, my, Eric and I were driving to Palm Springs and I wasn't able to blow my nose properly, which is a weird thing to, but like basically I was trying to blow my nose and I couldn't create the right vacuum to blow my nose hmm. um, or whatever configuration I needed to do. And then Friday morning, uh, a couple of things happened. One is we bought these ghost pepper, potato chips from Trader Joe's that were supposed to be like super spicy. And I ate them and I was like, these don't taste spicy at all. And so like part of my tongue started to go numb. That was the other thing that happened. Uh, And then about midday Friday, I realized I couldn't close my right eye. Um, And pretty much within like 10 minutes, I was like, I bet this is Bell's palsy. Uh, Because I've had friends who... So you pegged it. Yeah, because my mom had it at one point and I had a friend in college who had it Mm -hmm. um, for a couple weeks. Um, So... Very, very fortunately, one of the early treatments for Bell's palsy, and, and I went to the doctor on Monday, so this is Friday, um, but I was pretty much right. Like, um, one of the early treatments is to take prednisone, steroids, like as early as possible. And mm-hmm. Eric just happened to have some leftover prednisone wow. in the bag that he brought to Palm Springs, like wow. on vacation. So I basically got. Uh, within the first 24 hours, I started taking some and I even like texted my doctor and I was like, should I take this? And I was like, they're like, yeah, go ahead and take it. Um, so then I got to the doctor. So by Saturday morning, the whole right side of my face was not able to move. Like, how did you, all. other than, I mean, that's awful, but like, how did you feel? Uh, Are there any other sort of, no, I just, don't, your face just stop working? Do you, your do face you, doesn't do you have, work. It's kind of terrifying. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I mean, me being his parent, I mean, I'd. Yeah, assume I was having like a stroke or something, or yeah, um, uh, I would have been in an emergency room like that. <laughs> uh, it um, it feel it doesn't feel like any like there's no other real symptoms that go along mm-hmm. with it except that you can't move your face and you lose some taste from like two thirds of your tongue. Mm-hmm. So basically, there's one nerve. It's the cranial nerve number seven that comes out from like where your ear is, mm-hmm. and. Um, Oh yeah, we forgot to start the timer. Yeah. So we just we'll start all this over. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's one nerve that controls all the stuff in your face, and also goes to your tongue. For um, it controls your ability to like blink properly. So, um, basically, oh, so this is what one thing that does happen though is all the muscles on the other side of your face try to compensate. So mm. like when it, I couldn't raise my eyebrows, but the the muscle that does it on the left side of my face. I mean, this is not going to work, but it sort of instinctively like works twice as hard to try to like get it to happen. Oh, wow. And uh, so actually I would get tired. This sounds crazy, but like halfway through a day, I'd be like, I'm really tired just from like talking or 
like just from my face being tired made my whole body tired. Wow. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. So, um, yeah. So I, that was, so we didn't do the podcast. Um, I actually had to do like that happened on Friday, Sunday, Kobe died. And then I, I host a basketball podcast. Right. And we basically like, we have to do one. Yeah. And doing a podcast like in that condition was really, really tiring because, um, the whole left side of my mouth was drooping. So, um, and I, I could, it still work to like enunciate properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, but the first week, everything that was plosive, like P's and F's sounded like that. Like, pff, pff. Mm-hmm. um, so it was interesting. Like when I did the podcast, I was actually like on the fly, uh, mod, uh, like, like changing the words I would say. Mm-hmm. So like, if I said like, I wanted to say something like, oh yeah, that, I mean, this team has so many good players on it or whatever. I would say like, you know, this team's got so many good guards and, you know, right. like, uh, you know, outside shooting. It's like, I would like basically edit all the P's and F's out of mm-hmm. like the stuff I was saying. Wow. So anyway, that's why we didn't do this magic podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, but we're back. We're back. I'm relatively back. I'm about 40% back. Um, of course, the most annoying and terrifying thing about it was that I actually had to do some acting jobs, right. <laughs> um, which is like a story for another day, but that was nerve wracking. Right. Uh, I was able to recover enough to do those jobs, but it was like, it, you know, it's an inconvenience, but Bell's palsy is like a very, very common thing, especially weirdly for people like below 30 and above 60, it's less common. <laughs> like it, hmm. the late thirties to forties is like the pocket for getting it. Um, but basically no one knows why you get it really. And no one knows really why it goes away. That's crazy. They, they, they just tell you to rest and get as much sleep as possible. And then I took steroids, I did acupuncture and I took vitamin B Mm -hmm. and then I did like, I did basically a bunch of, there's a bunch of things online where people are like, I tried this, it seemed to help, but really I think what helps is you just rest and the nerve heals. Um, so I'm about 40% back, but good enough to do a podcast. Have you been doing improv? No, I like basically canceled every, because it was just too stressful. No, I completely Um, understand. And also just very exhausting. I would have been surprised that you said you were doing it. So tomorrow night uh, or tonight, tonight, uh, Tuesday night, I might do one. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how I feel by like the end of the day. Tomorrow night, Chris is stepping in as an understudy for Hamilton. So uh, he's enunciating those words. Yeah. I don't know if people know, but Hamilton is an improv show. Yeah. Uh, they take a suggestion. Can you believe they do that every night? Yeah. I, and just, I, it happens that the suggestion every single night happens to be Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> the life of Alexander Hamilton. Right. Um, I, think, I think they do that. That's just my guess, though. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone who works at the show. Uh, yeah. By the way, I didn't realize that like major sh- magic shows are so comfortable like stooging as much as they do. Right. I mean, one in particular I just heard about <laughs> having lots of stooges. Mm. Um Anyway, so uh, we're back with some magic. We're back with some magic. Um, uh, I would be remiss knowing us if uh, I, I, if we didn't talk a little bit about how excited I was this weekend. Oh, yes. Uh, magic in a way. Magic in a way. Uh, uh, history was made when Parasite won Best Picture, <laughs> Best Director, Best International Film, and Best Original Screenplay at the 92nd Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was maybe one of my favorite Oscars ever. Oh, that was my favorite Oscars ever. Because I actually thought the rest of the show was quite good as well. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, I, I And I, I agreed with most of the nomin- most of the uh, awards that were given out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like you know, I think I just think that uh, the, it, it's it's every now and again. I, I've been the last twenty four hours since it won. I've just been so excited, and I have not come down from that. I was literally shaking when it yeah. won. I was walking around my house screaming. Yeah, my friends thought I looked like an idiot, and I uh, did, but I was just, I couldn't get over it. Were you at an Oscar party? I was not. I just had some friends over to my house. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so it was a very tiny, small party. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, you know, I I, I I think I've just been trying to articulate it in the sense that, and, and I posted about it on Facebook and Instagram. You can see some of my thoughts on on, on Facebook about mm-hmm. why it was so interesting, why I was so fascinated and excited for the win. But I think ultimately, it's just I mean, no, nothing in the last decade, magic, film, or any other kind of art form has like grabbed me and latched onto me and stuck with me the way that movie has. Mm-hmm. Um, easily one of my favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite. Yeah, it's uh, up there for me, for sure. Uh, you know, certainly in my top two or three, if not just my absolute number one. Yeah. Uh, I think and I think it's been very, very exciting. Because I think once you kind of hit adulthood, uh, you kind of – it sort of feels like all of your tastes – uh, it it like it it's just it's very inspiring and exciting to know that like my favorite movie might still be in front of me. Yes, you know yes. what I mean. Because and, and you that kind is, of this was a reminder of that. Because like you from fifteen to to twenty two, right? Every other week you've got some album that's like this album is the best album yes. I've ever heard. This comedian is the funniest person I've ever heard, and it never necessarily also never necessarily like. And then once you hit adulthood, you see these things you love, but they don't necessarily unseat like your favorite stuff. But yeah. this just carved spot inside, you know. Yeah, and it was just nice to see. Like, I, I maybe I'm a bias because I was part of that, but I also feel like the you know you listen to people like the electricity behind this movie yeah. really felt special and really felt different. Yeah, and uh, you know I, I so I have some interesting statistics about the movie. Oh yes. Um, because I, 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 me and a friend of mine both know it's kind of silly, but we follow award shows very, very closely. Mm-hmm. I think just growing up, every, we had a family friend, um, some a musician friend of my parents, and they're both musicians. Mm-hmm. So we would always come to their house, uh, or they'd come to our house to watch the Oscars. So growing up, I watched the Oscars every year, uh, every single um, week. I, I grew up down the street from two different movie theaters, so every single weekend I'd see a movie with my parents. So my growing up, I just saw all these movies. And you also, how many years in a row have you seen all the movies? Oh, um, that's been a concerted effort for the last five years. Okay, um, and sometimes I miss them, um, especially when I was at UCLA. Sometimes it was tough, but I, 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 I've, I, it's been about six or seven years since I've seen since it's since I've seen like less than seventy percent of them. When when did they the other night at one in the, the morning? Uh, the, the the first time they did that was probably 2010, 2011. It was okay. right around the time Precious and Hurt Locker. Okay, it was do a, you think before that you had seen a lot of the five every year? No, because it, uh, I mean, because then you were twelve. Uh, yeah, not to date myself, but I'm I'm a lot younger at that point. My parents were fine taking me to stuff like that. Right. Um, if anything, they would overestimate it. I remember my dad had to like I was like eight. My dad had to take me home, um, and then he went back and finished the movie. Uh, we saw a Manchurian Candidate. Oh, um, you thought it was too scary. Um, was this, this is a remake, right? Yeah, it was Denzel Washington. What's uh, the that? I can't I can't remember, but I I, I was it was just. I, I don't remember because I don't really know the movie that well, but I was probably a little scared, super bored. Just, yeah. you know, I think they just kind of realized <laughs> this wasn't the environment for me. But so, so we, we, so I, I, I mean, growing up through like high school, middle school and high school, I mean, I would probably see a movie every single weekend mm. um, with my parents. Well, and, if only uh, uh, AMC A list had been around back then. Um, and so, uh, yes, yeah, so I've always followed award shows. So a couple interesting things, and, and these were all things I knew and heard. 
as I was leading up to it, there's a bunch of film pundits I listen to and podcasts and mm-hmm. stupid little YouTube shows where critics who are, look like fucking assholes uh-huh. talk about these things just because they love going to the parties. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, so everybody knew, a lot of people knew that this movie won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Yes. Uh, first South Korean film to ever do that on the year of a Korea Korea's 100th anniversary of cinema, oh. um, which is very exciting. Um the last film to um, I might have my decade wrong. I might be sixty five, but the last film to uh, to do to win the Palme d'Or uh, at, at the Cannes oh, and then win Best Picture, Marty. Marty was I believe I wrote nineteen fifty five, which is crazy to me that Marty won the Palme d'Or. Um, I actually don't know Marty. Marty is Ernest Borgnine as like uh, I, I think this is Ern- mm-hmm. it's Ernest Borgnine as a guy that's kind of like too ugly to get a date. Sure, and his mom who's like Marty, when are you gonna get married? That's what that movie is, and that won the Palme d'Or. Um, as uh, a lot of people, one of the biggest hindrances, two of the biggest hindrances for people saying, like, this can't win Best Picture, or probably won't. One is the obvious that everyone's not talking about, that no foreign language film has ever won Best Picture at the Oscars before. Yes. But another one is that um, it's very, very rare for a film to win Best Picture without having any acting nominations. Uh-huh. Should Song Kang-ho have been nominated? Absolutely. Oh, sure. Should most of those women have been nominated? Absolutely. I, I don't know who in that movie should not have been nominated. <laughs> yeah, truly. Oh, by the way... The guy who played, I forget, his name was like Gusung or whatever. The guy. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The guy, the older yes. shaved head guy. Right. Did you see him? Like at the awards? I did not. I, I, we were, they were you know what's there. funny is I know that, uh, but I have heard Bong Joon-ho say that, uh, and it's funny because he was in some of the clips they played for the movie. Um, uh-huh. especially the best picture one. I was kind of like, oh, I wish I hadn't had this spoiler in the movie. But I know he was saying it. Some of the early firm, film festivals, Cannes, Telluride, um, he wasn't allowed to make an, a show up anywhere until the film had aired because his uh, very existence is a spoiler. Oh, okay. So I don't know if that was a, con- you know. So I wonder if he's kind of famous. But you should, but go go back, if you DVR'd it or whatever, go back and watch when they they all get up there at the end. Mm-hmm. There's a guy behind them with like a pompadour and he l- genuinely looks like, 30 years old mm-hmm. and I was with Eric I was like that's the guy like do you see who that is oh was it him and yeah his features are it, it was him and Incredible. he's he's 44 the actual actor okay uh, but uh, you know Asians don't age as people tell me um, <laughs> you know what phrase I heard a couple weeks ago for the first time um, and I heard this from an Asian person and they're like oh uh, uh, no, with a group of people and some of them had heard it a bunch of times was, was it like, China don't crack uh, it was no I've heard that <laughs> okay. uh, it's, uh, it was uh, Asian don't raisin I've heard that as which well which doesn't make nearly as much sense I don't as like that as much um, but <laughs> although so, China don't crack doesn't make sense because China does crack so one of the reasons why I was so ecstatic last night was because um all these pundits basically talked about these statistics that kind of looked not great. Uh-huh. Uh, one being, yeah, so the first, this is the first film to win um, Best Picture with no acting nominations since Slumdog Millionaire won, which I believe was in 2009 <laughs> Oscars. Right. What's the commonality? Um, Asians. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not good. Um, the, there's one stat I wish I had here, and that was Director's Guild Award, but obviously everybody looks to other award shows leading up to this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things was that uh, 1917 won Best Drama at the Golden Globes and Sam Mendes won Best Director. Now, granted, Parasite was not eligible for Best um, for best Drama at the Golden Globes. Otherwise, it probably would have been nominated. The Golden Globes will not uh, nominate foreign language films in the Best Drama or Comedy category, which okay. is considering given that it's a foreign organization. Weird. Uh, yeah, very, very bizarre. But to them, The Farewell was a foreign movie. Yes. <laughs> for an American movie about an American 
woman in China. No, was, I think they actually counted that because then Aquafina. Oh, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, that counted as a foreign. That was foreign language. They, right, they counted as foreign. Yeah, um, it's ridiculous. And so, um, some other things, as people were saying, like this is why Parasite probably won't win, is while Parasite did win the Best Ensemble Cast Award at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, which is mm-hmm. kind of their equivalent for Best Picture. I've heard some people say it is not an equivalent. I would say it is their equivalent. Uh, oh, wow, yeah, that guy does look much better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looks so young. Yeah, yeah. he looks... Uh, he doesn't even look 44, to be honest. No, he does not. I mean, he probably look, you could, he could he looks 44 in the movie. Uh, I think he looks older than that. I think in the movie he looks... He, he the, Like, the, the other woman is probably in her 50s. Right, oh, true. But... This guy looks like he he could be twenty six. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So uh. So although he they had won something, the Screen Actors Guild Best Ensemble Cast, and that was like when when they came out just to announce the movie, the whole theater gave him a standing ovation at the uh-huh. Screen Actors Guild Awards. Um. So it was very exciting. So some people were like, "Oh, is that a big bump for it?" Because it won the Best Ensemble category, uh, at, at Screen Actors Guild. Um. Only eleven times out of the past twenty four years has the film that won the best ensemble award at Screen Actors Guild gone on to win Best Picture. Mm. So that didn't bode well because it's less than half. Um, and then nineteen seven. Now the Directors Guild is the one stat I don't have, but the Producers Guild awards nineteen seventeen won Best Picture and Best Director, uh-huh. and that has lined up with the Oscars twenty one out of the last thirty times. Ooh. Um, so still not a perfect predictor, but higher. And then the Directors Guild, same thing. Uh, Sam Mendes won and nineteen seventeen won Best Picture, and that had I, I fortunately I couldn't find it. I was looking for it before I came here. That had the highest predictive quality. Oh. Um, so those three plus the uh, uh, plus the Golden Globes. Um, I would kind of given up, uh, and then it was just really just like uh, it was some of those articles of people anonymously posting their ballot. Yeah, um, a lot of them had Parasite winning. So ultimately, on my actual ballot, as I, I guessed that reluctantly that Sam Mendes would win Best Director, uh-huh. but I did guess that Parasite would win Best Picture. Hmm. I just felt like there was just so much electricity and enthusiasm behind the movie. Um, yeah, and, and 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 like I said on on social media, if anyone follows me on social media, you've probably heard me say this at least twice now. But I think it was just so special that. Like every other movie in that category, we already have. Yes, you know we have mob movies, we have war movies, we have one take movies. Yeah, uh, all these is best picture. We have Scorsese movies as best picture. We have yeah. a divorce movie as best picture. We have five other Little Women's. You know, yeah. uh, like we have everything, and this just it was you know, and yeah. in twenty like no movie was more twenty nineteen than Parasite, I think, and I was just it, it just it, like I can't overstate how much that meant to me, how excited I was. Yeah, and you're not the Asian. I know. I was like, eh. No, no, I love. Chris it. was like, I like Joker. Well, I saw nineteen seventeen yesterday. Like, oh, and, 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 and it I, ended when the Oscar, like the Oscars, had started already. Um, and I really like nineteen seventeen. Is a great I, movie. I wish nineteen all all season. I've basically been saying because I, I had a feeling nineteen seventeen was going to win because yeah. it also came out so much later. Yeah, uh, checked so many of the boxes. The craft of nineteen seventeen is insane. It's impeccable. Um. So, uh, but like, I, I just kept saying like, man, what I would not have given for 1917 to have come out last year. Yeah. I, the, 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 1917 is wonderful. The, the only thing I would say about it was that while I watched it, I thought this is really good, but it is like, while it was happening, I was like, the thing is Parasite is not a movie I've ever seen before. Right. 1917 is a great movie, but it's kind of. This was interesting about 1917. It doesn't really have a message, um, right? And that's then that's part. And of I think one that's of the reasons interesting. Why Parasite. Like, that was I, one of my arguments for Parasite. It was like 1917 is what war is bad. You I don't know? even know if war is bad. Like 1917 is like is 
is a little bit I actually like this about it. It's not preachy at all. Right. I don't really know what the message of the movie is. It's kind of just like I, here's a thing that happened. I think 19, what 1917 does better and I think that's probably my favorite war movie. Now granted, there's a lot of war movies, big war movies I haven't seen. Never seen Apocalypse Now, never seen Deer Hunter, never seen Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple so I know that's a very amateur statement. I'm not huge into war movies, but what I think what I loved so much about right. it. But you've seen King of Kong. Uh <laughs> war between those two guys. Right. Um I uh I've I, I feel like the the point of that movie was not necessarily for it to send a message, but it was kind of like it was just using that spectacle as a way of trying to get you to resonate with like the the brutality of just like small mundane instances in a yeah. way you know I think every other movie has uh, plot armor to it in the way that it's like we need to get these characters from here to here so right now they can sort of relax and when you know that their relaxation is about to turn into like a conflict or surprise thing you can kind of feel it it doesn't feel like a shock right. but this anytime they turned a corner or walked into a barn I think because of the way it was shot I I never felt comfortable yeah. or safe for them like anytime they walked into the most mundane of instances I was like I don't know this might be the one yeah. and sometimes it is you know uh, and so I think that was I, I, I felt like the I felt the immediate danger of of the smallest situations in that in a way that yeah. I didn't. I feel like in other war movies, you know when it's going to get to the set piece. I will say Private Ryan has a lot of what you're talking about. Okay. Well, um, that, that, like I said, yeah, I'm yeah. not an authority on um, war movies. They've never really been – I've never gravitated towards them too much. I would say that to its credit and to its detriment, 1917 is, is, is a story about the characters and what happens to the characters and – the war is like a way to tell the stories about the characters, right. which I think is great. It's That's very really the, epic the, sort of story of like these two people that are not particularly in- interesting or remarkable people that are sort of plucked out without knowing it yeah. and to going on this very epic, very Lord of the Rings in that sense. Yeah. Two so like companions that don't really have, you know, a lot of investment in what's happening and they're sort of plucked out yeah. by happenstance to go on this very epic journey to do something incredibly important to see lots of people. So it's like that's every movie. It's like the opposite of a lot of war movies where you feel like there's an agenda behind what they're trying to say about war. And so I think it's in, it's interesting that I don't know really what it's saying about war. Um, Cause I didn't really get the sense like, I don't know. It's horrible, I guess, but um, it was, it, it felt a little bit like never the, offer help to a German. Yeah. It, it almost felt like it had almost the emotional impact and and this is not a compliment of like a video game mm. in that it was just kind of like these guys get to get from point A to point B and here's how it happened. Yeah. Which um, you know, I don't mind. It's I don't incredible. mind either. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, and, but, I, and, and I do think, well, I don't know. I think, I, do you think it knows it's doing that? Yeah. I, d- I think it's intentional. Cause I think it's the biggest flaw when it comes to winning awards and this is what it made, would have made it unstoppable. Uh, and granted, it was unstoppable in every other award show, so maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Um, maybe there was just something about Parasite. But um, is is I think, yeah, the, the biggest criticism I heard about that when people were comparing what had the best chances of winning at the Oscars was that, like, you don't come out remembering much about these characters or, char- like, the emotional resonance yeah. to the characters in the situation compared to how we've seen it happen in almost every other, all the other big war movies, like Saving Private Ryan, like Deer Hunter and stuff, where yeah. you really love and just your heart breaks for these characters in the situation, was not there. I think... I would uh, agree with that. I'm going to spoil a scene from 1917, so... Okay, so John is about to spoil something major from the movie 1917. By the way, this is Chris from the future, but also from the past... After we were talking about before you listen to this. So if you don't want to hear this major plot spoiler from the movie 1917, please skip in your podcast app to the time code 24 minutes even. That's 2400. 
uh, to miss this 1917 spoiler. Okay, that's plenty of warning, and he's about to start talking right now. Okay. Uh, when that when one of the two guys is killed, I don't think you go. I don't think you feel bad for him. Like you're not sad. You're shocked that it happened so early in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like look at this character who I love. But he's the protagonist up till that point because it's his his mission. Yeah. Um, you know. So like we need a bigger spoiler for that. I think. Do we? I'll put one in. Um, <laughs> Just because I feel like that is like a serious like major thing. I, I agree though. Um, by the way, do you know who that was? Um, I don't. That's Tommen from Game of Thrones. Did you oh. watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, I did. Um, which is surprising. And the guy who plays his brother is Rob Stark. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew I recognized yeah. him. I can remember where. Um, but yeah, but I think just you don't come out of that like with the emotional connection of these characters. Yeah. And I think had you, had that movie really focused on, and I think that was intentional. Again, this was a movie all about spectacle. Yeah. And in, in a way that I don't think was a problem, but um uh yeah so uh, our podcast is about magic and comedy right uh we spent i just yeah, that, that, I, I know that had nothing to do with either of those things <laughs> just like that last night was just i like such an incredible moment uh i just man i um, I, I, just, I just had to say it i out did loud. i did read an interesting thing um about the industry today and the biggest takeaway from the the whole awards was the complete failure of Netflix to really win anything. Uh, oh, I, one stat I do have, as I'm sure this was in your article, was that Laura Dern, that marks Netflix's very first acting num- uh, win. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, honestly, which I, I, I do think... I thought she was just... I didn't think her part was that interesting in America. I actually really like Laura Dern. That, I, yeah. I, I hear a lot of people saying they weren't a fan of her, huge fan of hers, or like they I love her. I somebody just, else. Um, yeah. That is the one kind of thing I've sort of been like a contrarian on is I thought she was great in the movie of those five. She who who are the other four? The other four would have been Florence Pugh for little women, Scarlett Johansson. Um, Ugh, no way uh, for uh, Jojo rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other two would have been, Oh God, I can't Cynthia remember. Reeve? Cynthia, no, Cynthia Reeve is best lead actress. Oh, okay. Um, oh boy. Yeah. It's, it's escaping me right now. This is uh, all, uh, uh, do you see widows by the way? Oh yeah. I just widows is great. Which is really good. Um, Anyway, the takeaway was that Netflix um, it was uh, had put all this money into like the Irishman and stuff, and basically came away with nothing. And basically was saying, you, you, you reminded me of this because because our podcast is about comedy. They were talking about how um, what is the way forward for the movie industry when they basically they essentially don't make comedies anymore. Um, I'm not sure what that means exactly because I feel like uh, there were lots I- of comedies that came out. Last year, yeah, big ones too that did very well. Booksmart did great. Uh, uh, no, Booksmart did not do well, but people liked it. Yes, yes, Anyone Booksmart who saw it loved but, it. But Booksmart was actually notable for like doing way worse than people thought it was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but yeah, Longshot was really good. Uh, yeah, I just mean I don't think that was successful either. Oh sure, <laughs> um, but you know we're in a bubble where we have different exposure to things. Than, Margot Robbie and Kathy Bates are the other two. Ah, okay. Um, so what's been going on magic wise? Um, so, oh boy. Well, in, uh, uh, oh my God, it's Tuesday now officially yeah. Wednesday. I start in the Peller with Robert Ramirez. Yes. For four days. Yes. We have Friday off. So don't come on Friday and try to see us. Our Friday oh, shows are canceled. It's Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, there's an, uh, the castle's open. There's, Private a, event? there's a Valentine's day event in the inner circle. There's a cat oh, adoption. Right, right, right. Can't remember the castle and a little kitty. Come on by. Is that open to the public? No. Uh, no, I'm sure it's not. I think it's a member's thing. Only cast members can uh, <laughs> adopt a ch- <laughs> Like they, they just end up with like 20 extra ones. Like, well, good thing we limited the attendance on this one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that's what you want as a cat adoption, the less people. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that'll be, that'll be, uh, I'm, I'm terrified, but, uh, you know. What uh, state are you in in terms of rehearsedness? Did you rehearse more Sunday? I, I watched some of it on Saturday. Uh, yeah, no, unfortunately, we could not meet yesterday. You today? Uh, no, um, unfortunately, because <laughs> our schedule is completely. Uh, he worked in the morning and afternoon, and then at night I, I was doing Magic Bar tonight. I was hosting Nick Paul at Magic Bar. Oh, um, fun! And so I, I. By the way, if you're listening, to, that's also tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah, tonight. So if, so if you're listening Tuesday today, I uh, try to go see Nick Paul tonight, yeah. and I'll be back hosting next Tuesday with David Stryker. Oh, cool! Which I'm really excited about because he is the nicest guy. Cool. Um, so yeah, so we have all day tomorrow to kind of keep running things. Uh, good. And then uh, Wednesday we'll be at um, uh, the castle for most of the day in the room, just kind of uh-huh. finally, you know, blo- doing adjusting the blocking for the room. Right. Yeah. So um, that, that has been my only con- my only thought over the last like three weeks. I've seen it. Uh, I think I saw everything. Right? No, I didn't. No, see you've probably seen about two thirds of it. I didn't see something Valentine's Day related. Yeah, that's our closer. I didn't see your sands. I didn't see his card manipulation. Right. There's uh, there's f- and then I'm doing a, a silk thing in the, there too. So there's probably four things you didn't see of nine. So I saw a little over half of it. Uh, what I saw was very funny. You did see the yeah. So the, and that is I think why I'm te- usually I'm nervous when I do the castle. Right now I'm like terrified. Uh-huh. Just because uh, as you saw, we're taking. Taking some big swings. Um, yeah, define of, a big swing. We're just like I don't think magic wise you are. No, but as far as the com some of the comedy, we are we're taking I, what I think are big chances. We're doing a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, uh, we're doing a lot of specific stuff that makes us laugh so hard. Yeah, uh, there's a couple bits that took us days of rehearsal for me to even stop laughing at. I'm not trying to. If anyone, goes to say, I'm not trying to hype it up. <laughs> no, no. The reason you're terrified is that it might just land completely like a lead balloon. Because it's like sometimes he and I do have very specific senses of humor to each other that other people don't think is funny. Yeah. And um, okay. I, for for example, this is this is like a friend of mine is going to come this weekend, and I don't think she's going to like the show that much. And I basically promised made her promise me that she would give me an honest. Like reaction after the weekend is over. If you tell me that night, it's gonna fuck me right, up for the next Sunday. Right. But like afterwards, we'll have lunch and uh, talk right. about it, and it won't hurt my feelings if you, you weren't into the comedy. But um, there's a a joke that uh, Robert's girlfriend Gwen drew a picture of me once. Mm-hmm. The three of us were just fucking around until she drew a picture of me, and I thought it would be funny if, on, on a bunch of pictures uh, on a dating app. Of the end, I added that one uh, just as a kind of a hastily made drawing of me, and as the caption put "artist surrendering," mm-hmm. and that just made me giggle. I thought it was really really funny. Uh-huh. So I said that. So I pitched that idea to Robert and Gwen. I was like, "What if I did this and said artist surrendering?" And they both started laughing, and I thought it was funny too. Uh-huh. And then I texted my friend that same joke, and she goes, "I mean, you can do it. I, I don't get why that's funny." Uh, and then I'm like, "Well, then you're not gonna like our show." Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the. I, it's interesting. I think, given the context of the castle, that they're big swings. I think if your show was doing UCB, it'd be right. like yes, it's exactly. Fine. If I were doing it at UCB, I wouldn't. But but there's a couple things. I also, I mean, not that Robert hasn't contributed. And Robert helped write a lot. But like, I would say, I I, I do kind of take credit for like ninety percent of the comedic tone of the show uh-huh. and a lot of the jokes and vice versa. And you would argue that most people would argue this is much more important. He's Robert the 90% takes of, of, the like, of the magic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I brought him a couple pieces, but he's tuned up a lot of stuff. He's come up with the idea for some stuff. Right. And like a, a lot of times, I'll be like, "Oh, this moment should have this," and then I'll pitch. It's a lot of times of me like giving him good ingredients, and then he cooks the meal. Uh-huh. Like I'll be like, "Oh, look at this! Like I found a trick. I'm like look at this trick. And what if we added this? Mm-hmm. Like okay, that's pretty cool. But I still I'm not there. And then he takes it and puts it all together. Yeah. Um. 
because he's so good at that. And yeah. so there's a couple times where, you know, we're working hard on this method. Like, this could be really good. This could be really cool. I know we have a good method when we're talking about things. And before we're all pa- we pause for a second and he'll go, fuck. Like, because he's so angry that it took him this long to realize what the right answer is. Uh-huh. And he's done that like three or four times. And so one time he w- he just kind of went, I think we could do this instead. And I went, I don't think that's the perfect solution. And he went, why? I went, you didn't shout fuck before he said it. So I know that it. It didn't. It didn't move you as much as it should have. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I would say that like on a night where this inevitably doesn't do well because we are taking some risks with certain bits, mm-hmm. uh, that's oh. gonna be weird. Just because it's like yeah. Because like not, you know basically if somebody were to, to come out and 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 say uh, you know I liked that show. What did you, what was your involvement with it? I would have. My question would be. Well, did you like the magic or did you like the comedy? Uh, right. Right. <laughs> Well, uh, also, hopefully... But I, did, the, I do think we made a show that is distinctly us. Hopefully the magic is strong enough to, even if you don't love the jokes, that right. people will like the show. Right. Uh, which, I I mean, I was fooled by a lot of it. Yeah, well, some of them... I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with some of the magic we have in there. Yeah. Um, I think we're doing some cool things that aren't exactly like anything people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there's a ring on rope that's different than what exists mm-hmm. and people are going to hear ring on rope but it's actually kind of different and, mm-hmm. and that is the thing where i found something that was really cool and we tried it and it was awesome and we've never we'd never seen it and we thought it was really cool uh-huh. and then he fixed it and it was even better um and we're doing a couple things from books we're like well that can't work um and it does and uh, um yeah one of the, those books is the bible yeah yeah um it's like this isn't gonna work oh it does yeah, i wow. can walk well <laughs> um, um i, I want to say one thing that that's about that's a, a you know, a long time ago on this podcast, I had voiced an idea for a sketch that I just, it was a comedic idea that I don't actually want to make, but like. Is this the soldiers? The soldiers thing. Yeah. I, I thought of something similar to that during the Oscars, and I'm just going to put it on this podcast only, which is just during when Chrissy Metz was singing the song from uh, Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Which, honest to God, is a movie I've never even heard, heard of. of. Uh, I didn't know she could sing. Um this is all I would say. Given the content of the lyrics of that song and the way the camera moved at the end of that song, I would suggest starting the camera at the end of that movement and going the other direction. Because if you watch that clip again, at the end of that song, the chorus is, I'm standing. They just keep saying, I'm standing over and over. And the camera pans through all the chorus like backup singers <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and the last person is a disabled person in a wheelchair and i was just like just start with him first <laughs> it literally had them going i'm standing i'm saying and then it landed on him and i was like that is not that the first thing i thought of was that so um, anyway, that's a oh. that's just a bad comedic thought that shouldn't be out there. That's and this is that oh when this interview gets I hope out, we never get hired for SNL. Yeah, well, I'll get hired for SNL and they'll unearth this. Yeah. No, no, I felt I. It was just like this is such a nice moment. Mm-hmm. If you're the director, go the other direction, right? So that he's at the beginning of the verse, and so because because mm-hmm. I do think it's great that he got to like I I like that like it's a diverse thing and like let's um, include everybody in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you also have to recognize there's sometimes moments that are just like. Hearing a certain lyric with him, your brain's just going to do something. That's yeah. not the point of the song. Right. That's all. That's anyway, um, um, I did have a co- a, a comedy thing I wanted to. Uh, to ask oh well, yeah, let me tell you about this move that I've been working on. Oh, first. please do. Uh, I, this is a this is a move. 
uh, that there's no way I will ever use this. It's just something I saw on Reddit where somebody takes a card like this. Mm-hmm. He's palming and, a card. And then this is the next card, right? And then they go like this. Oh, wow. And then it aligns. So he had a card and a palm in his right hand. He just picked up a card off the deck with said right hand. And turned then as he turned it over, he squared up the card that he palmed. And so it covered the top card. Yes, I didn't really square it up. That's the hard part of right. this trick. Right, yes. Um, so you're supposed to be able to just like okay. produce. And wow. so, th- so this is Undertow. Uh, it, the movie is called Undertow, and it's hate by the name. it's by Dan and Dave. Okay, it's from a book that Undertow that, sounds like a. You're also gonna hate the title of the book. I think the book is called If an Octopus Could Palm. Uh, that I don't care about. Uh, um, anyway, the whole book Undertow about- sounds. I I immediately go to like some weird like fungus under a toe. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's quite good. So the, the main reason I would never use it is I don't want to know what the point of it is. <laughs> like in the book, actually, there's not a trick that goes with it. Maybe there is. Maybe I missed it. But like, I don't know what, why you would ever do this. Yeah, it could be like a force. Like you have a card palm and you spread the cards and anybody touches any card they want. Yeah. And that's you reveal it. I, there's got to be. It's, it's not that I couldn't think of a way to use it in a trick. I just think like I'd be surprised if there was a trick where it was like you had to do this. Right. There's not. Um so and I'll, after this, I'll show you. Um, you. Unless you want, and again, you don't. Have, there are other solutions. I've performed them, and they exist. But like, if you wanted the finale to be that the card is a different color than the rest of the back, because in that case, when you when you square up the card, you're not seeing the back of it. Right. You never see the back of it. So if you wanted to do it and then have a clean way of showing that it's yeah red and on a blue deck, you could do that. But there are other ways of doing it that don't involve this yeah. crazy move. By the way, I tried to palm cards in front of Eric, and he was just like. You have the card in the other hand, <laughs> like right. palming is hard. Palming is a, a cruel beast. Uh, and then uh, what was the other thing I was? Uh, oh, I started watching. First, I watched the Daniel Madison video on Bottom Deal, mm-hmm. and then I watched. Uh, I watched about half of Jason England's mm-hmm. video about it, and it's interesting. A lot of Bottom Deal grips are like this. I have my middle finger on the top of the, mm. um, and that's so that that can get out of the way. But I find that really weird feeling to deal like this mm, yeah that is weird so then he has it like this but then and then i don't know he has it from mechanics grip is what you call it gotcha uh but also that seems super hard that bottom um, deal yeah, how's yeah your, how's your I, don't, I don't know a bottom deal unfortunately yeah there you go <laughs> um and uh why was i doing that oh because somebody was uh if you guys because go to if you go to youtube no sorry that was daryl <laughs> yeah look guys anything ideal is a bottom deal <laughs> <laughs> um if you go to youtube and put an undertow magic card move or whatever there is a video of a guy doing the this move that i just, just oh, showed i'm sure you. there's some people doing it exquisitely well so someone on reddit said this is the hardest slight of all time or whatever and there's a guy doing it on youtube it's so good at it that I was watching it going, that's not the same move. Like I was watching it going, okay, there's clearly two moves called undertow, the one I'm doing and the one this guy's doing. And then I watched it in slow motion. I was like, oh, he is doing it. Wow. That's how good it was. Incredible. Uh, okay, so you got Peller coming up. The Peller coming up. Let's say again in uh, April 24th through 29th, you'll uh, be in Chicago. April 19th through 26th. Uh, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, Close April enough. 19th through 26th. That's why I should not be your booking agent. I'll be the Chicago Magic Lounge. Chicago Magic Lounge. And you said you were going to do some of their, like, I think it's called, like, 624 Lounge or whatever. 624 Lounge is a close-up room. I'll be doing that four days that are split up. Mm-hmm. So I'll be doing it at a Sunday and then a Friday, Saturday, the following Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh-huh. I believe. Do you happen to know who's on stage? I do not. Um, no, I've been looking it up, and, and the, their schedule isn't is that far out. Um, interesting. A venue like that, you probably could 
whole bunch of your schedule ahead of time. I know the castle now doesn't. They yeah they they uh, they used to do it six weeks ahead. Now you can access that if you're a member. Right. But um, no, because I mean, because what happens is any single time your name gets up, and that's just six weeks of people finding you on Facebook and Instagram and emailing you, yeah. asking you for guest passes and explaining why their mom's going to be in town that weekend. And now that is limited to one week. I so must I've, feel like I've they only should, gotten two so far. I must feel like they should. My, uh, my thing's been out for a day. Oh, for a Peller? Yeah. I feel like they should um, do it in such a way that's like they schedule ahead and they say like, John Carter will be there in four weeks. Uh, here's his Instagram. Like, uh, hit like follow him on Instagram to if you want a guest pass or something, <laughs> or you know what I mean? Like, or just might use it to generate because th- there are times that, like, it would be nice to be able to look ahead on the castle schedule mm-hmm. to make to plan. Yeah, the idea of running the board of trustees, I think, was like lay people don't need to know because they don't, you know, like, yeah, like most the, the, the general audience that is going the, the, that is using the castle guest pass, is the attraction. Uh, yeah, they're like they don't need to. They, what, what would that mean to them? What would it mean that Garrett Thomas is going to, you know, like that doesn't mean anything to them? I mean, I agree with that, except it's also kind of like putting a very low ceiling on your ambition of having people know who magicians are. <laughs> Look, that is a whole tapestry of shit that I don't know how to sparse my way through. You, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying because you're basically saying like no one will ever care who individual magicians are. <laughs> Oh boy, uh, Garrett Thomas will be there this He's, week. Is that right? He is there this at week. the close-up. He's in the close-up gallery. Close-up gallery. Uh, yeah, uh, Garrett Thomas is pretty amazing. Actually, just ordered something from him. Uh, he is putting on a thing called Opus. You just go That's drive it. and get to it from him. Uh, I, could, I should have actually. Um, would you have any interest? I keep meaning to text you about this. I've signed up to go to the David Stone lecture at the Magic Apple on February twenty third. I believe that is a Sunday. Is that who I saw in Ohio? Is he French? Yes, French guy. Uh, I'd probably go see him again. Because um, now I'm, well, because I was, Honestly, I I'd, I'd go the, see him again. At the Apple the other day. He's great. He's always been wonderful. If you can stand, uh, audience, watching some, uh, watching um, magic performed in a language you don't understand. Mm. Uh, but obviously, I mean, it's going to be hard to watch a 20 minute show, but. Uh, this is a post parasite era. <laughs> post parasite. People, you people can, racists. <laughs> people can handle it. Um, uh, but uh, well, with no subtitles, I mean, um, you're just kind of like having to track the. You're just like having to like track the magic. Um, he was on France's Got Talent, and so those are like 90 minute segments, 90 mm. minute bits that are pretty visual, you know, and good for TV. Um, that are amazing. So, you know, like if, if you can, you know, if you're willing to like kind of just concentrate on him, he's doing some really really cool stuff. If you don't know that much David Stone stuff, but David it, Stone's a household name in magic. If right? it's at the Apple and it's what 25 bucks, yeah. I would definitely go see it just to see him do the performance part of his lecture again because he's a very fun performer. Oh, he's a great performer. I uh, already bought all his stuff. Cool. So. so, yeah, so I was talking to Theron because Theron was at the, ca- the Apple that day when I was considering buying it. I was asking him what his time slot was like at, at Magi Fest. And we figured out, he went back into the schedule and saw it was an hour. I went, great. And this will be, because I was, I was figuring, I, I know he, Brent was saying he's basically launching like a 40 city lecture tour. Which is he's not doing the castle or anything when he's here. He's just doing this lecture and maybe some private stuff. Who knows? But or some other things. But he's like, yeah, he's just going from city to city doing lectures. Um, I figured that okay. Well, granted, the Magic Fest was probably, you know, when he flew into America, like you know, to to start to kick off this lecture tour. But I figured that since the, the Apple and every other place, he'll have probably two hours or give, you know, if not more. Mm-hmm. And the, at Magic Fest, he only had one hour. Right. So I was wondering. I was trying to figure out if it'd be the same lecture and if that was a good lecture. I was heard, basically heard yes and yes. Yeah. But this will probably be, I mean, 45 minutes to an hour longer, I assume, with more material or detailed material. So I think there probably is value in, in seeing that again for anybody who is. Yeah, I would say so. I assume. Good, assuming it was good. A good demonstration of a uh, champagne bottle holdout. 
Cool. Uh, which is something he sells. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, he's great. He's very fun me. to watch. I'll be at that. Uh, when is that? that. Uh, February 25th. 23rd, I'm sorry. 23rd, I think at, at 5 o'clock. Yeah, I think you can do that. Um, yeah, I don't Oh, um, the only other things that I can think of magic-wise going on is I'm, I'm getting in contact with the audition committee this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was supposed to call the audition committee to sort of um, – Talk about my last one and schedule another one, and I basically put it on hold while the right. bell falls. <laughs> that would have been funny if they're like, "We can get you in right now." Like, and then I did think, like, can I come up with like an oil and water or something that's oh like, like the right side of my face was all mixed up, <laughs> <laughs> and do like a very sentimental right. uh, uh, trick. Um, so that's I need hilarious. I need um, and horrible. Um, schedule that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to also decide. What I'm gonna do this time around? I remember you were telling me that you hoped going into Magi Fest with all the Danny Dirty stuff you're gonna go see. You could find something to pull to, well, to I, replace something in your audition. Did you do that? Come close to doing that? Uh, I don't know because um, the, the so the one, there's one that I've done of his uh, called Totally Messed Up. He basically has like six different any card at any numbers. Yes, that are slightly different from each other. I'd say it's easier in his catalog to pick out the non any card any number tricks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so there is one that's pretty clever. So the one I do, he's basically like evolved it into something else that I think is basically requires a little less setup from him. And um, there, there's one that he can do with a borrowed deck oh, cool. um, that I also like, I modified in a different way, but that's also the one that I've talked about before has failed a couple of times because the, I would say the underrated skill that he has that, that um, is really central to a lot of his tricks is his ability to count while doing a bunch of other bullshit. Hmm. His ability to like handle the math, um, sure positioning of things while he like his I ability. See, I to, see that in a lot of Spanish like books uh-huh. is their ability to like break down the math behind a trick and why it works. Woody Aragon, one Tom Rez all have yeah. this. I'm like, wow, your 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 mathematical understanding of well, the stack deck is. Uh, astounding. And Woody Aragon and Danny Dirtis have both created their own memorized decks. And when you read their books about them, I didn't know Danny Dirtis had. Yeah, he has deck. one called My Stack, and it's um, interesting. I actually, for about a day, I had it in my head because it's it's a cycle, mm. it's cyclical, but it's is it a set of thirteen? No, it's basically it's very it's it's imagine like Cy Stebbins, mm-hmm. except the threes and the jacks are a different suit. So it's similar to Cy Stebbins in that it's a pro- mathematical progression through all the cards, except every time you have a three of spades, it's actually a three of hearts instead. Okay. So that mixes up the colors in a way that's very, uh, looks very real. Gotcha. Um, but it's hard to remember to do that shift. Sure. Um, and there's something else about it. But anyway, the fact that they both sat down and like figured out stacked decks that right. had features that they wanted is because I. Right. And then I know that um, I, this, I don't know where. Yeah, well, I know that Woody Aragon basically in the, in the chapter, the forward of that book, he was basically like every memorized deck is essentially has a scale to it mm-hmm. in like a weighted scale to, with two halves um, that oscillates between uh, how shuffled the deck looks versus how um, how uh, useful that stack is mathematically. Yes, he goes. So the more things that that can do mathematically, the less shuffled it will look, and vice versa. Uh-huh. So you have to kind of figure out what you want your balance to be. Right. Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with that many of the mathematical properties of Mnemonica. I know Juan Tomres and Pitt Hartling are very familiar with it. Yeah. Um, so 
uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see how Danny Ortiz's looks. Um, oh, so but even his ability to count out eighteen cards quickly, where he and he was like, oh, to do eighteen cards, all I do is I go three, two, three, two, like right. But he did it much faster than that. It's like, oh, when I need eighteen cards, I just go three, two, three, two, three, two, three, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, his ability to because he's also doing lots of audience management. I mean. I'd say the obvious skill that he has is audience management. Yes. Um, and that's a lot of what his lecture was about. But but being able to do that charismatic, like he did the gala, no, or he did like a Friday night uh, performance. Mm-hmm. And his relaxation. You can't get him out of bed before eight o'clock at night. So. Is that a thing? I just, all the Spanish guys that are the Spanish, up super yeah. late. They um, take siestas in the day. His ability to be relaxed and goofy on stage was amazing to almost me. unparalleled yeah uh because he would even just like hear a, he he did like crowd work kind of like right. he would hear a weird sound from the audience and just kind of look look like it was very very funny and very in the moment um so the ability to do that stuff and then also be like i need to take three cards off the top and cut to them to the bottom without mm-hmm. anybody seeing or whatever um yeah so that's so anyway it's possible I could do one of the one of the the any card at any numbers that's similar to the one that I do already. However, um, there's a little bit of a similarity between that and the Jeff Williams devastation thing that I was, did in the audition, which mm-hmm. actually seemed to go pretty well. Uh, that's the thing I did for you guys at the pizza place, right? Um, so I don't really know. The other thing I thought about doing actually was um, the I, th- I showed you once, basically like I uh, like I memorized like looking at the deck and memorizing it kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I figured out a different way. Like if I start in Demonica, I can actually get into that in a way that, uh, the, the, so basically it's the premise is like, I'm not doing any slide handle or, or anything really magical. What I'm doing is I just, I look at the deck and I just memorize it. Um, and then I demonstrate that and the sort them into mm-hmm. club is the thing I learned from Chris Rollins at magic apple basically. Um, the kicker of his thing is that you've selected one at the top, and because I've memorized the whole deck, I can look at it and be like, oh, the card that's missing is three of spades. Right. But I figured it out. If I start in Monica and have you pick one, and then I just cut it, I can just see what the face card is. I know what the card is. Right. Uh, he had a different way of doing that. I think he may have been forcing it or something. Um, so, then, so then the question would be like, <laughs> how lame would it be to then just like spread the cards and be like, uh... Or actually to like do mnemonic and sort of into suits, then I'd, you know, I think for a layman, it would be cool. Mm-hmm. I think for a magician, they'd be like, oh, it's, uh, although actually if you sort them out into suits and you turn them over, it's not going to be super obvious that it came out of mnemonica. Right. Um, the only, uh, obvious not part, if you're doing it face down. The no. only obvious part would be when you spread them and like memorize them. Right. But also like, do we care about this stuff? Like, do we care if a, a lay person, there's no lay person in the world that's going to recognize mnemonica. Right. So does it matter? I will say lay people, when you're doing stack stuff, might uh, try to guess that you're using, you know the order of the cards. Yeah, I could have them. Oh, I've, I've also heard some, some, someone online the other day say that uh, all stack work feels like stack work, and I think that's bullshit. Well, the other thing I could do is actually have them select, cut, get the key card, and then give that to someone to shuffle. Yeah. And then I could do the rest of it like that, because the rest of it's... A combination of marks and actually memorizing. So I could do that. That's so that's about as yeah. far as I've thought about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. 
And the, the rest of my magic has been like uh, sorting through the suitcase of all the stuff I bought in <laughs> Ohio. What's been your favorite thing? Uh, What's been your least favorite thing? What I haven't was, had a least favorite well, that's good. thing. No, no big buyer's remorse? No big buyer's remorse. Although I had... Uh, I got so I I got the second Ben Earl book. It's called The Shift Two. He's put out two books very quickly, and I didn't realize this is the kind of like blackout state I get in at these kind of things. I didn't realize that book was like fifty or sixty dollars, and it's like forty pages long yeah. or something. And I was kind of like, "Whoa, I paid this much for this book!" Right. Uh, that was a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you really liked? Uh, I I do like that key thing that I show you. I think that's oh really yeah, fun. That a, I heard that is. Um, um, Robert was telling me that Jeff Brace had a giant key to show people how it worked at the dealer's booth. Uh, he did actually. He had a three D. Like what sold it? A three D printed uh, that showed you the internals of the key. Uh, that was very very cool. It's a gimmick key with three little hole sections on it at the top. Yeah, and you have a key ring on one of them that moves to the other one in a spectator's hands. Yeah. nothing in your hand. Yeah, and uh, you and pull can, it, but they're the one holding it, so yeah. that you. Uh, it's, it's neat. Um, and, then, and then you let go, your hands are empty, and they can inspect it all they want. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and the, the, I also got the uh, I got the Rune Clan book. Cool. Which I'm reading through, which is very good. Uh, and the Shift books are very good, by the way, the Benaral books. They're very good. Cool. Um, and then, actually, this is not, I don't have this yet. As a, but it is a thing I ordered. Um, the other brothers card to pocket. Oh yeah, you're telling me about that. Uh, Sounds really cool. So They're clever I, guys. I basically did a little bit of sussing out. It's on the way. I have purchased it. I'm not, but I have sussed out kind of what the method is, and it's neat. It's interesting, and it really is like um, I hand you a deck, you name a card without looking. Like you mentally name a card, mm-hmm. and then you spread the deck, and your card's not in there. Wow. And then the card is in my pocket. Incredible. And like that's pretty much how it goes. There's some there's a couple of things that might happen that you have to do something else. But I look forward to you fooling me with that. But right. but you know the like um you know, sometimes they'll be like, Well, the thing they put in the video is like the miracle version. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's it's like it's not like a one in ten chance that you have to it's like basically there's a very good chance that you don't have to do anything and it goes exactly the way wow. it should. Um, so but like that is something I may I don't think I would do in my audition because that is something that there is a way for it to go wrong mm-hmm. and if it goes wrong I there's not really a way out of it mm-hmm. we'll put it that way and that actually might limit people's wanting to do that at all <laughs> right I think uh, yeah I think sometimes in a situation like that to do well you also I feel like a trick like that doesn't really showcase anything for you. As far as the technical aspect, they're kind of judging you on. There is a technical aspect to it. Mm-hmm. I will say, uh, I mean, it's card pocket, so it uses an index. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an, there's a technical element. Like it's not something I could just buy and do today, so it would require some practice. Um, but that doesn't mean that would show. But then again, 1917 won for visual effects. Right. So anything's possible. Right. Because 1917 doesn't have any obvious visual effects. Right. I've ha- I'm noticing the Academy does tend to like movies with visual effects that feel smaller. Uh-huh. Uh, but I will say, like, you know, they also, I, um, yeah, I think sometimes showing off a bit more might be better for, like, for, uh, easy, something easily, more easily tangible. For example, Ford v. Ferrari winning best editing because that movie just kind of had the most editing. Yes. I actually did think probably 1970s should probably have won best editing as well. Was nominated. <laughs> It should have probably been nominated. I actually heard one last thing about this, uh, the Oscars, and then I did have a thing I wanted to ask you about comedy. Uh, was um, 
basically what the the argument I had heard because I don't I'm, I've never edited something before really mm-hmm. uh, so I, I'm not I don't consider myself like any kind of authority on what should or should not win there's a couple people I really trust online that have some interesting breakdowns of movies like he did, one guy did a breakdown last year of why Bohemian Rhapsody actually had terrible editing mm-hmm. um, but everybody liked that editor and so he wins uh, and like he's a really popular guy and everybody liked him and mm. that's kind of why he won but anyway so the idea was that a lot of editors see that the, the you know editing a movie is is really when you tell that story and it's in the editing room that that story really kind of becomes what it becomes and that's how a lot of editors see it whereas 1917 was planned out meticulously mm. months and months and months and months and months in advance and rehearsed down to a T and so there isn't there's hardly any editing in that movie because it was all well rehearsed um there's so I think the idea behind that not being nominated was that there wasn't really much editing in the film and Editing is kind of where the heart of a movie often can reveal itself. I could see that. So um, whether or not you agree with that, I don't know. I definitely think it's a, not, it's a valid point. But I think uh, was Birdman nominated for editing? I have no idea. Couldn't mm, tell you. Probably not. By the same. By the same. I would assume by the same logic. And I do think that um, this was this felt like less of a gimmick than Birdman did. Yes, for sure. I know you did. I like Birdman. The reason I, I hated it. The reason I think this actually should have been nominated for editing is because it is. Uh, when you think uh, about it, there's like two edits in the movie. Most one take movies are. It's implied that there's a lot of uh, there is a lot of choreography. I don't know. It just this this was very obvious at a certain point that even though it's all one take, like it's impo- There's no way it really was. Right. Like I actually don't think it it it. Um, I think it works cinematically, but I don't think it ever fools you. Into, actually, it's a good analog for magic. Uh, I don't think it fools you that it really was one take. Like, there, it's just impossible. Like, as you right. watch it, you're like, "There's no, this didn't, this didn't actually." Right. There's no way this actually was shot like this. That'd be pretty incredible if a movie ever did that. Yeah. Um, I reckon a movie called Russian Ark as one of the very first uh, one take hmm. uh, in the modern era. Yeah, I don't know of any others besides uh, this. Rope band. by Hitchcock. Okay. Uh, there's been, there's been, um, uh, actually uh, 1970 also reminded me a lot of um, Children of Men, oh. which has very. Have you seen so that? I've not in a decade. So Children of Men has very very long shots in it. Um, right, I know. I remember Atonement has a very famous long shot, mm. like a um, seven minute shot. Also, I will say that uh, don't just stop with Bong Joon Ho's uh, movies. Uh, sure. Park Chan Wook, okay. I would recommend, um, and I can't remember his name, but the guy who directed Spring summer winter fall and spring again or maybe it's it's all these season names and he also did a movie called the isle uh there's a lot of korean directors that are very very good right and park chang wook actually probably like kind of like blazed the trail for mong Jun ho to be right. able to be here because he did old boy yeah which is like really what like right. put them on the map as a country mm-hmm. um anyway what do you want to ask me about comedy right uh so um uh, I was noticing something. This is something I heard Pete Holmes say on this podcast, and something I've been thinking about in the last couple of weeks as I've been writing silly comedy for this Peller show. Mm. Is he was always saying that like when when you're growing up and you're in your adolescence and you're in high school or in college and you're like a funny person and you're trying to make your friends laugh, he's like most of the time without knowing it, or without trying to do it, you're doing someone. You know, he's like depending on what age you are and who's popular, deep down you're probably doing that an impression of that person. He's like, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, he's like, when I was growing up, most of like, he's like, I was just doing Robin Williams. I right. didn't know it. I wasn't trying to do it. I wasn't like, I'm going to copy Robin Williams today. But that's what was in my head and my heart as I was trying to make people laugh. Cause that's what was making me laugh. Right. He was a lot of people just do Jim Carrey or, you know, 
So uh, I, I was kind of thinking about that. It's like, yeah, the the times you kind of create comedy without re- without, without even uh, totally knowing what it's influenced by to such a heavy degree. And what I've noticed is the um, I granted I I would have always told you this is one of my favorite shows, and it's how it, you know it influenced my comedy and my sense of humor a lot. But I'm, I've been house sitting the last couple of weeks. And the house I'm uh, staying at has Disney Plus, and I just haven't subscribed to Disney Plus yet. Mm-hmm. So I've been almost exclusively nonstop in watching The Simpsons. Uh-huh. It's really dawning on me because I'm also remembering, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to my childhood, and I didn't, we didn't have cable when I was a kid. We just had network channels. Mm-hmm. And so every single day I would come home, like in elementary school, I would come home from school, and from like four to five, they would play an hour of The Simpsons. And then from three to four, they would play, or they would do a, a a rerun of the previous night's uh, Conan. And a lot of the Simpsons they were showing was early Simpsons when Conan was writing for it. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I'm realizing watching the Simpsons as I'm, as I'm actively thinking about writing comedy and writing jokes that are just like watching them passively, right. how much my sense of humor was sculpted by the Simpsons yeah. to the point was I, I, I saw a joke in there that I, I basically do in my act. And I'm like, did I just unknowingly steal a joke from the Simpsons? You know, <laughs> I know that's always been a huge joke that like the Simpsons. Yeah, Cause did in it. the middle of your act, you go like, my name is also Bort. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's weird. we need more Bort name tags. Seemed, in the good Out of context for this magic show. But right. Oh, well. uh, what was the joke? Um, the, uh, you know, can I, uh, I found it. Uh, anybody who knows my act will, uh, will, will recognize this joke. Can I just play it for you? Sure. Um, and then you can just cut out the 10 seconds where it takes me to find this. <laughs> I'll vamp through it. Right. Um, vamping, vamping. I'm, I'm good, supposedly good at improv. <laughs> All right. So if you've seen my close-up act, you will recognize this joke. This is a 30-second clip for context. Um, Bart has – this is an episode where Bart ultimately uh, ends up on an episode uh, of the uh, Krusty the Clown show and becomes famous for the catchphrase, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes through a little fame. I think this is season five. And uh, anyway, at the beginning, top of the episode, he has snuck away from his field trip to the box factory mm-hmm. <laughs> and is, uh, uh, is sneaking over to Krusty Studios where the where the show is being filmed. Um, it's kind of a visual gag, so it's not going to yeah, sound right. great, but... Uh-huh. So that's this is the uh, blindfold. Yes, there's almost a joke word like the exact same joke in my act. Uh, well, so obviously that's a pretty visual gag. If you type in Simpsons in a towel, um, that kind of joke comes up. But the, 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 what you miss is that when Principal Skinner says to call home, Mrs. Krabappel calls home, and Marge is running downstairs in a towel uh-huh. uh, from the bathroom. And by the time she gets to the phone, um, they've hung up. And so then what they do is they call Homer at work, and that's him. He's running into his office at the nuclear power plant in a towel, uh-huh. also all wet. And then he. Oh, no, you'll have to be wearing a towel and I was like doing dishes walking back and forth while I was playing and I like stopped my track and looked at it because I remember when I wrote that joke something about it felt familiar to me and I was kept looking <laughs> around like to which magician was already doing that joke I'm like surely someone has right. I asked six or seven people and they all thought it was funny and I hadn't heard it before so I started doing it but I'm just, I just keep finding times where it's, the, the show just like cuts right to what I think is funny because it kind of told me what I think is funny yeah 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 you know do you have something like that is that or, or does that resonate to you, the idea that, like, at some level, 
when you're getting started or when you're just trying to be funny and you're not really you know becoming a comedian or training to be a com- comedian you're just kind of doing something um I mean, most of my stuff is just wholly original, yeah. so it's hard to relate. Well, I mean, for example, I mean, not to, 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 to call you out, but I remember... <laughs> Here's a list of the ones. Uh, but I do remember on this podcast, after you watched um, I Think You Should Leave for the first time, yeah. you said like you just kind of found yourself almost like fighting yourself against just kind of doing I Think You Should Leave style characters in your improv. Oh, that's true. Yes, yes, you for know? sure, for the, like, the couple of weeks afterwards. Yeah, it's because like, it's just um, so... Oops, excuse me. I, I think that... Uh... Like, you're not... You're not going. You're never going into an improv show. Going, I'm going to steal. I think you should leave. I'm going to do yeah. their bit. Like I'm going to take that style. But it just kind of gets inside of you, and that's what's making you laugh. And you want to try to make other people laugh, and then it just kind of comes out. I think. Uh, well, I think so. I think that. Um, I guess I think of it as more as like there's been I, there's been like sort of generational comedic influences that mm-hmm. influence almost everybody. So Jim Carrey certainly is one. Although I personally don't feel super influenced by his comedy because I didn't ever think it was that funny like mm-hmm. it was i think it was a little too old for it um and but i think will ferrell and jack black are extremely influential i think jack black is underrated like one of the most influential comedic oh, personas absolutely. of all time yeah people wouldn't put him on a list with will ferrell jim carrey and robin williams um but he should probably be on the it. number of people that have jobs because of jack black mm-hmm. uh which is like all the every man kind like there would not be a Josh Gad without Jack Black. Right, there wouldn't be. This might be wrong, but I don't think there'd be a Melissa McCarthy without a Jack Black. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like the, I, I think there's steps between them. The but like the um, if you go back and look at like like Laurel and Hardy, um, the fat guy in Laurel and Hardy, who I guess is I think it's Hardy. Hardy, <laughs> yeah, uh, Hardy um, isn't like cool. Um, um, even like John Candy wasn't like cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, jo- uh, Jim, uh, John Belushi was, but John Belushi wasn't doing like really like physical stuff or whatever. Jack Black was like, like Chris an Charlie al- wasn't really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like the Van by the River dude is not right. cool, but Jack Black in High Fidelity is an alpha character, even though he's like kind of a weirdo. Right. But he basically is high status from the beginning and there haven't been that many like character actor, fat guy comedians that were high status alpha people. Mm. And since then there are a ton. So like Adam divine and workaholics is very much a Jack black descendant. Um, it's just a thing that is a very, very common trope now that wasn't, I feel before Jack black. Um, uh, I think you just kind of what I, I hesitate to quote this comedian, but, um, uh, on, on an episode of Louis, uh, of Louis, um, which you know was a great show. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, there was a, a episode where he um, needed to ask Dane Cook for a favor. You know the episode I'm talking yes, about. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. And so he, uh, Dane Cook has the same manager as Lady Gaga, and he wants to get his daughter Lady Gaga tickets. And so he basically has to go to him. And Dane Cook hates him because he uh, people accuse Dane Cook of stealing one of his jokes. Right. Um, and he and he and and so the fight they get into is like I never said you stole my joke. He goes no, but you didn't say anything while other people were saying it. Right. Um, and you know, it basically like, it kind of toppled the year that I was like going, you know, gold, I had a gold, uh, album and all this, you know, all this other stuff and was selling all these tours. And he had this really interesting point about, you know, he's, they start fighting about whether or not he stole the joke. Um, and he, and, and, and what Louis says is like, I think that in that year, it was like 2006 or something when he's like the biggest star in the world, he goes, you just became a rocket ship 
that was taking off and your engine was just sucking up everything around it. You weren't trying to, just you were so big it was impossible not to. And I think you probably heard the joke and you forgot about it and then six months later it just kind of came out uh, without really realizing it. And I think that is a thing. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that's also similar to this, I think, is that um, I think that there are like joke constructions that come to you very easily after writing or hearing them a bunch that are almost like the equivalent of like moves and magic a right. little bit. Um, uh, oh, we were just watching the last episode of Shit's Creek, uh, uh, season five, episode 13. Got it. I, since I've been staying at this place. Oh, oh, that's the f- season five. Fin- okay, yeah, they're in season and, six and right se- now. And the season five. The, when they do cabaret. Yes. Um, there was great a thing show, where um, uh, the two characters have uh, gotten engaged, and they're trying to decide how to tell everybody in the family. Right. And one guy's like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should just tell them this. And the other guy's like, um, uh, well, I haven't really put much thought into it. And then he says, but, you know, we could do it tonight at a party, blah, blah, this, we could arrange it, we could get champagne, blah, blah. And then while he was giving that speech I to Eric, I was like, then the other guy's going to say, like, well, at least you haven't put much thought into it. Right. And, like, after his speech is it over, that's exactly. what the guy said. Yeah. And it's just, like, you can start to feel the rhythms of, like, what's coming, which much like you can probably feel that when you're watching a magic sure. thing, even if you haven't seen it before. Right. There's definitely early moves that you can... If, if, if somebody, it's kind of like a puzzle. Somebody doesn't move, you see what that move is. Yeah. And you can go, I, he needed to do that now. Yeah. Because I know that they're going to need to do, you know. Yeah. By the like, way, I also think that's what's disarming about Danny D'Ortiz, particularly for magicians, because there's a lot of moments he while breaks you're, a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of moments where you're watching him and you're like, wait, wait, it's over? Like he already did the thing? Like, right. or just rhythmically, there's things where he is like dis distracting uh, you or something on, right. on a different level. And he, he doesn't construct like the front ends of his tricks the same way a lot of other people do. Right. Um, so basically what I'm saying is Daniel Ortiz owes his career to Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he does a little bit, honestly, uh, not, not in Spain, but like right. his ability to be like a funny fat dude <laughs> mm-hmm. is a little, it's Jack Blackian in funny. a way. Um, wow. Well, that's not a good place to leave it off. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you shows coming up this week? Um, well, I'll be at the castle this whole Wednesday, oh, yeah, Thursday, Saturday, right. Sunday, yes, yes. 8, 10, 11, 30. And in Chicago, April. Uh, April 19th through 26th. Yeah. And I'll be at Magic Bar hosting next Tuesday. And then I believe Tuesday, March 10th with Mark Matsumoto, uh, which will be a lot of fun. You should come down and check that out. And I'll be performing at Magic Bar March 30th and 31st. When you perform, will Ben host? Yes. Okay. Uh, so these nights, so far, that, I'm the only person besides him that is hosted. So the nights that you are hosting, he, Ben's not in the room. Yeah. Place. So like, every, basically, I mean, he he doesn't have any backup besides me yeah. to do it that understands it and kind of gets what's happening in there. Yeah. Because uh, he could have anyone come in to make drinks, but right, he wants someone that kind of knows it, and knows the magicians, and understands a little more the idea a little bit better. And so uh, it's just been him. And so well, it started because he had shows he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um. And so he got me to do it, and I had a lot of fun. I, I really love doing it. I love making those drinks and stuff. Uh, but now it's kind of like he just wants to be able to train me to the point where, like, like even today he was available today. He just mm-hmm. he 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 he's saying a concert last night in Sacramento with Sierra Bogus for some Bogus Bogus mm-hmm. for some reason for like a Bogus Bogus I don't know for like three thousand middle schoolers. Yeah, um, and then 
Uh, he had a meeting this morning for something, and so he drove back at four in the morning. And he was, just, you know, I mean, we had already planned this, but he, right. was, he was just like, I just knew I wasn't gonna be able to do it. Yeah, so he likes yeah. to be able just to have me as a backup should something happen. That way, somebody knows it, knows how to set it up, and he can just kind of toss me the keys and cool and go. So he was like, "Here you go, kid." Yeah, that gives me like a shoulder punch. Um, I might be in the scene at the UCB uh, tonight if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Okay, and maybe not. And I probably will be in Magic to Do on Thursday. Oh, cool. My hope. Great. Um, but other than that, um, I guess look into that Magic Apple David Stone lecture because John and right. I will probably both be there. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, I guess, see you next time. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye.